This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads on our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. If you'd like to join us in person, our talks take place at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. We live in an age at the moment where people's attitudes towards the scriptures are perhaps not very good. Most people find it difficult to accept the Bible as the word of God. In fact, perhaps the vast majority of people don't regard the scriptures and the Bible as the word of God. This perhaps is due to many factors but perhaps also specifically to the acceptance of the theory of evolution and what we commonly call humanism, where we put mankind first and we think that we are able as a species to sort out our own problems and issues and advance ourselves forwards. And so we have become reliant on ourselves more than the word of God. So many people struggle with the idea and they raise objections, they raise concerns and say, well, surely the word of God is not, the the Bible is not for us today, it's not relevant for today to help direct our thinking and our ways, our actions and our words. Of course, the the scriptures make certain claims themselves. And although we won't be focusing and dwelling on some of these scriptures very specifically or for any length of time, we're going to take a few scriptures, and they'll be on the screen there, to just remind us of some of the claims that the Bible makes for itself. And then we're going to hopefully raise a, a specific concern that some may have, and then we'll see if we can address that concern. Um, So... In the Psalms, then, we read, Thy word is true from the beginning. Of course, the emphasis I'm putting there is thy word. So the Bible says this word is coming from God himself. Proverbs 30, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So it's the word of God. Thy word is very pure. Therefore, thy servant loveth it. Sanctify them, says the Lord Jesus, through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Many, many times in the scriptures we read, Thus saith the Lord. A lot of the prophets say this over and over again. Thus saith the Lord. So obviously the claim of the scriptures is that what is written is the written form of God's communication to us. This is the one that we've just had read for us by way of introduction in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That particular part that's highlighted there, the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means to be God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. So the Bible is making the claim that what it, the message that it is giving to us is profitable. Yeah? But many, many people would doubt that or reject it. 
And then this one here from John, Jesus answered them, is it not written? So Jesus appeals to the authority of the scriptures himself. Otherwise, he wouldn't say that, would he? He says, is it not written? Talking to his Jewish audience, he's saying, what was written in the Old Testament there? He says, I appeal to the authority of those scriptures because they are the word of God. He says there, I said, ye are gods, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came. And then he makes this fantastic claim and uh, point. And the scripture cannot be broken, says Jesus. Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the son of God. So he's in this debate and argument with the elders of his day, but it makes this particular point, the scriptures cannot be broken. So from Jesus' point of view, he's saying that the Old Testament, which was his scriptures, he says everything there is absolutely faithful. And if God has said he will do something, he will actually do it. And all the promises that he's made, he will keep his promises. So these are the claims of the scriptures. And, and they will receive quite a lot of attention um, during talks at other times. Peter, following on from this, in the scriptures being inspired then we have this, don't we? Knowing this first, says Peter, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here we have a description of the means by which God communicated to his um, servants, the disciples on this occasion, that they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write the things that they did so they were the writers and God of course is claimed to be the author of the message contained in the scriptures so those are the claims of the scriptures but many people will say but it's a very old book and we're relying on the accuracy of the copies of the manuscripts that were for centuries ago that have we rely upon their accuracy how do we know that what we have here is the accurate translation um, of the originals which we commonly call autographs the actual original copy that Peter or Paul wrote down themselves how do we know that this is faithfully transmitted we have this phrase we say uh, inerrant and that means without any errors without any so many people, such as ourselves, as Christadelphians, we believe that the scriptures, in, as they were written in the Hebrew and the Greek, they are without error. So we think, well, how can we be so confident? Because many critics, many skeptics uh, want this question answered. So this is an area of evidence that we're going to hopefully look at concerning the accuracy of the transmission of the, the scriptures. So the, the original, like we say, manuscripts of the Old Testament and New Testament were written in ancient Hebrew and Greek. And of course, those originals are long gone and they are no longer available to us to consult. We refer to these manuscripts as the autographs, like we say, uh, because the Bible claims to be the work of God through his Holy Spirit and it claims to be without error. Like we read in the Psalms, the word of God is pure. Every word of God is pure. No mistakes in the original documents. 
this is the claim of scriptures so how, how let's ask ourselves another question before we actually try and give and offer some evidence for us to consider let's ask a couple of other questions how do we know anything regarding historical matters historic history that is hundreds of years ago out of our lifetime yeah anything beyond that centuries ago how do we know that all the facts that we are taught at school at college how do we know that these things really happened well the answer is fairly obvious isn't it we read books these things have been written down by people that were contemporary people that lived at the same time as king henry the eighth was alive they wrote things down Oliver Cromwell all these things we know these people existed I wasn't there you weren't there but we know that they were there because of the records that have been kept the things that have been written down and we accept these because they were eyewitness accounts people that were eyewitness of certain historical events and the people that surrounded those events they were written down by eyewitnesses and, and you and I, we are willing to accept the evidence that is given to us in the records and, and the books that have been passed down to us. So this is what we need to investigate and say, well, consider the scriptures and, and how faithful and how accurate. And can we rely upon the content of what is written in there? So that's the question, isn't it? The Bible is transmitted accurately, or is it, or is it not? This is the question. And again, the historical content, the people, the places, the events, are they accurate? And is it reasonable to accept what we are being told here? Well, let's consider some of the evidence. And we, we come across an interesting word called the a test which is called a bibliographical test it's a bit of a mouthful but it's a test that has been applied not just to the scriptures but to many ancient works classical works and and it is a test regarding the manuscripts that we have found that we have been passed to us and really what it does is it considers when the authors were alive and obviously when they wrote their original books documents and then it says, well, what's the earliest copy that we have available to us? And there's a gap often of, of many years between when that individual, the author, was alive and when the first copies were made available, the first copies that we have available that we have found or been passed. And then we consider, well, how many manuscripts have we got? And do all those different manuscripts agree with each other? Are they, is the message on all those different manuscripts consistent or are there great big differences between the different manuscripts? These are important things that we consider. So this is called the bibliographical test. Now, I'm going to read this screen out. Sometimes we don't read everything that's on the screen, but I'm going to do this so that I get the words right. And it helps us. If you're new to this idea of a bibliographical test like I was, then hopefully this will be helpful to us. The bibliographical test examines manuscript reliability. And for more than a generation, Christian apologists... Let's stop there for a second. 
apologists, so people that actually believe the Bible, that defend the position of the Bible and defend the claims of the Bible. They're not saying sorry that the Bible exists. It's the reverse, really. It's a bit unusual to get our minds around that. But the Christian apologists are people who are willing to defend the authority and validity of the scriptures. So it's been around for more than a generation. Christian apologists have employed it to substantiate the transmissional reliability of the Bible. The bibliographical test compares the closeness of the Old and New Testament's oldest extant manuscripts to its autographs the date each book was originally penned. And the sheer number of the biblical extant manuscripts with the number and earliness of extant manuscripts or other ancient documents like Homer, Aristotle and Herodotus and so on. So down the bottom there you can see where I've I've got these comments from from a certain uh, Dr Josh D. McDowell. So that is what we call the bibliographical test. And we're going to, this, like we said, this test has been applied to a number of different secular documents and sacred documents, uh, especially, of course, the Bible. So here's the core of the evidence which we put to you this afternoon to consider. Now, there's much more than we have time to look at, but I've highlighted a couple um, fairly at random but I've chosen names that perhaps we're more familiar with so here around the the middle of the chart look at the titles here we've got the author the date when the original uh, person was alive and when they obviously wrote their book or documents and then we have reference to the earliest copy that we have available um, often in our museums of course and then we look at the approximate time between the original and the copy And then we look at how many available copies we have. Um, And then sometimes, and obviously not on that chart, we have a reference or a percentage offered us in terms of the accuracy across the different manuscripts available. So here we have a familiar name, Plato, um, when he was alive, 427 to 347 BC. And then earliest copies available of some of his works there, AD 900 which is obviously considerably later so we have a a gap of 1200 years or so Um, and we have apparently available about 210 documents, manuscripts uh, of Plato's works so there's a considerable time between when he was alive and when we have first got the the copies available to us they're dated like we say with this 1200 year gap so what is that telling us it's telling us that people before the printing press were were copying out handwritten copies of Plato's original works therefore there is considerable opportunity for human error to creep into the copying process and this is the concern, one of the concerns that many sceptics concerning the Bible have. They say, but if people are copying and copying and copying, there's bound to be lots of errors along the way, isn't there? Well, of course, that is high risk, isn't it? There is going to be that factor to take into account. But we know, according to the scriptures, that God inspired the writers what to say. But we'll come to that more in a second. 
but there you have a gap of 1,200 years. So theoretically, there is considerable opportunity for the copyists of Plato's work to make lots of errors, 1,200 years or so, before we have the earliest copy. So how do we know? Are we willing to accept that these earliest copies that we have available are actually what Plato wrote down? Not many people are going to dispute that, are they? Most people are going to be happy with that and say, yep, we go with that. We accept that the manuscripts that we have, 1,200 years or so after he was alive, they accurately represent his arguments and what he was saying. There's another one there. Herodotus, 480 to 425 BC. Again, first available documents that we have um, in our museums, AD 900 or so, giving us a gap of about 1,300 years and 109 available copies. So similar point, isn't it? There's a considerable gap between when Herodotus was alive and writing his works and the earliest copies available that we have um, and a great gap in which errors, plenty of errors, could be made. However, most people would quite happily accept the evidence that we have and say, this is, this is what Herodotus wrote. So, we won't go through these, but again, just highlighting quicker now um, that what we have here, there's Aristotle, 384 to 322 BC, AD uh, 1100 is when we have some of his earliest available manuscripts, giving us a gap of 1400 years or so. 49, that's not many copies, is it? 49. We rely on the accuracy of what Aristotle wrote to us uh, on just 49 documents, 49 available manuscripts. And then down there, we've got this Homer, who wrote Iliad. And there he is, uh, 900 BC, living 900 BC. Uh, and then 400 BC, we have the earliest available manuscript copies, giving us a gap of about 500 years. We've got many more, many more copies there. Look, we've got 1,800 copies there, and they've actually given us a percentage from where I got these charts of saying, across those documents, they're saying that 95% of the different manuscripts available were consistent. The message was the same, that the copying process seemed to be very faithful. And then, of course, we come down to the bottom, highlighted in yellow there, with regards to the New Testament. So the bibliographical test has been likewise applied to the New Testament documents and the available manuscripts. And we make comparisons, don't we? This is what it's about. So in the first century AD, the uh, disciples wrote the Gospels and the letters as we have them in the New Testament and we sort of giving it a date there between 50 and 100 AD. And then some of the earliest available manuscripts that we have are in the 2nd century AD, uh, 130, around 130. So what we have here now, the, if we look at and compare the distance in time, the time gap, between when the disciples originally wrote their work and some of the copies that we have available, less than 100 years. That's amazing. That's a fact. That is a fact. Less than 100 years. 
what was the best that we had in, in the classics above there? Homer at 500 years? Yeah. So we're down to less than 100 years. Now compare, I know your eyes are probably going ahead of me, but number of copies available here, 5,600. Wow. That's a lot of evidence compared to the few copies that we have on some of the other classical writers there. That's a lot of manuscript. That's a lot of evidence, more evidence than any of the others can offer us. And then on the accuracy of the copies, the consistency between the different manuscripts has been assessed at 99.5%. That's amazing, isn't it? That's absolutely mind-boggling. Handwritten documents. And this is what we are told by people who are independent, who are authoritative in their field, who study ancient documents in this way. Like for like, comparing the New Testament documents with those of other ancient authors there. So we need to sort of think about what this means to us. We, we do believe that the hand of God has directed things to preserve the scriptures to our day and generation, to, to help with the accuracy. And the accuracy is, is because, isn't it, because the Lord God gave his Holy Spirit to those original writers, but God has overseen events throughout the course of history so that his word is preserved in its accuracy. So let's see if we can summarise what we've found so far. Although there's been an increase in the number of non-New Testament ancient manuscripts, nothing has changed regarding the applicability of the bibliographical test. Even Homer's Iliad, which was seen as the, the greatest manuscript increase, and people keep finding new manuscripts, don't they? That process doesn't stop at the moment. They keep looking for new ones. But it's in the greatest manuscript increases. It's still dwarfed by the, the New Testament, which has more than ten times the Greek manuscripts as the, the Iliad. So there we've got the New Testament Greek manuscripts at 5,800 and the early translations, New Testament early translations. So they have now many, many copies of the New Testament that's been translated into other languages. So we've got 18,500 there. And then we've got Old Testament scrolls, uh, which we refer to as codices, at 42,000. So we have a total biblical manuscript evidence base of over 66,000, which is something worth considering isn't it so now we have to think well what do we what do we find out what does this mean does it help us so we've got like we said over 18,000 manuscripts in other languages and for somebody who is willing to accept the evidence of the classical writers on the basis that there were 9, 10, 100 documents manuscripts available with a gap of 900,000 years people are happy to accept that then we would ask them and say well why can't you accept the authenticity of the transmission and the process whereby we have obtained the New Testament scriptures because the evidence base is, is far superior than any of those other documents that we see there 
we have to follow that logic. That's where it takes me, and that's where it takes a lot of other people that believe in the scriptures. It's very uh, persuasive evidence for us to, to consider. Here's a, a gentleman here, this picture here we have it is uh, of a certain Sir Frederick George Kenyon. I'll give you his uh, letters after his name because he was a very authoritative person uh, in, in this field of studying manuscripts. He's a GBE, a KCB, a TD, an FBA, an FSA. Um, so he was around January 1863 to 23rd of August 1952. He was a British, sorry, read this word, paleographer, paleographer, and a biblical and classical scholar. He held a series of posts at the British Museum from 1889 to 1931. And he was the president of the British Academy from 1917 to 1921. Um, the point is, his regular credentials are, are very impressive. Now, this gentleman looked at the evidence that we have just been considering, and then he, this is a quote from um, Sir Kenyon. We'll read it out. Um, there is a little typo somewhere see if you can spot it as we read it down the interval then between the dates of the original composition and the earliest extant evidence becomes so small as to be in fact negligible and the last foundation for any doubt that the scriptures have come down to us substantially as they were written has now been removed both the authenticity and the general integrity of the books of the New Testament may be regarded as finally established. Sir Frederick Kenyon. So he's a, he's a, a man who knows his area, yeah? and, and this is what he is willing to state publicly. I think the, uh, the typo was the, the now and now. There's two nows in there, and I couldn't change it on the slide. That's evidence to consider for the New Testament. We will deal with the Old Testament very briefly. So with the Old Testament, you see, the evidence that we have doesn't stop with the, the New Testament, does it? Uh, in all, the scholars have identified the remains of about 825 to 870 separate scrolls. Uh, the Isaiah scroll from the Old Testament was found relatively intact and it's a thousand years older than any previously known copy of Isaiah that, that we had before. In fact, the scrolls are the oldest group of Old Testament manuscripts ever found. The scrolls have revolutionised what we call textual criticism of the Old Testament. And interestingly, now with manuscripts predating the medieval period, we find these texts in substantial agreement with the Masoretic text which we already had, uh, as well as widely variant forms. So what we're being told here is that the Dead Sea Scrolls that have been found in the caves around the Dead Sea, they give us more evidence that this, the manuscripts that we already had are accurate because when the Dead Sea Scrolls have been examined, the consistency and the accuracy between a 1,000 years earlier to what we have is amazing. They support each other. The accuracy is there for us to consider. There's some key facts regarding the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the first set that was found by a Bedouin goat herd boy in 1947. And between 1947 and 56, 
we, we have 980 or more documents, um, which consists of 60,000 manuscript fragments discovered in the different caves nearby. Mostly written on leather in Hebrew, Aramaic and Greek, and the dating from 250 BC to 68 AD. Um, not just the scriptures, but we have parts of the Bible, we have prayers, and we have some legal documents amongst these as well. And coins were also found alongside the manuscripts, which helps the um, people confirm the age of the scrolls from 135 to 104 BC. The scrolls contain fragments of almost every book in the Old Testament. So those comparisons with the manuscripts that we already had a thousand years apart, again, are telling us the same story, that there is wonderful consistency between the older manuscripts and the ones that we already had. And we have apparently complete copies of Isaiah, the books of Samuel and Habakkuk. So regarding this bibliographical test, we can apply it similarly, in a similar way to the Old Testament scriptures. We have 64,000 early manuscripts discovered, some as early as 300 BC, and the scholars have said there's very, very few errors and differences between the documents, the early ones and the later ones, a thousand year apart, and they're saying there's half a percent discrepancy between them, which is absolutely amazing over that thousand year gap. So the copyists have been doing an absolutely brilliant job, haven't they? They've been very, very, very careful with their procedures and their checking um, for the accuracy. The half a percent discrepancy um, is basically a few spellings that uh, are different there. Nothing that no discrepancy impacts on the meaning that is being given to us in the scriptures and this is a really important point no other piece of literature has shown such consistency compared to 11th century AD copies of the Old Testament Bible we have remarkable similarities only a few spellings and word order differences the odd missing phrase most modern Bibles make mention of these differences in their footnote so we need to say well where does this take us where does this take us in our thinking if we follow the logic if you accept the facts that the scholars who are independent scholars uh, regarding this bibliographical test where does it take us in our thinking is it persuasive as we hope it is not only does the Bible stand up to the rigours of this bibliographical test, but also the evidence shows that the Bible is the most accurately and widely distributed ancient text ever written. So if other ancient manuscripts are considered as good evidence that the author's works are to be accepted as reliable and accurate, containing historically accurate records of their intended content and message then surely it follows that the New Testament and the Old Testament basis for acceptance is even greater than that of the classics and can be trusted as an accurate account of the people, places, events and message from God himself, we believe, that they are intended to convey. So 
we need to think about our way forward, your way forward and my way forward. And, and what impact is that going to have on us? If we follow the reasoned argument, then we have a good basis upon which to accept the reliability and the faithfulness and accuracy of the scriptures. There is therefore good reason to pay close attention to the message contained in the Bible. An important point, the bibliographical test itself cannot make us believe in God or his word. This has to come from the scriptures themselves which is why this reference on the screen from Romans chapter 10 is really important. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What we've endeavoured to do this afternoon is show some evidence so that we can be persuaded as to the accuracy of the scriptures, that we can trust in the copying process that has taken place for, throughout the centuries. But actually developing that necessary faith in what God has to say to us in the Bible has to come by reading the word of God itself. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans. So if we read the scriptures for ourselves, we will grow as individuals in faith, which is pleasing to God. We will come to believe that the scriptures are indeed written by eyewitnesses and directed by God's Holy Spirit. Consider this reference here as our last reference from 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul writes to the disciples at Thessalonica and he says, For this cause also thank we without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe and our appeal to everybody regarding this evidence is consider it carefully and read the scriptures for yourself and develop and grow in faith and accept it as the word of God which can work in us also okay we hope you enjoyed that talk for more downloads videos information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk.